Hi, this is the Organisational Success Academy from the Oxford Review, bringing you the very latest research in leadership, management, organisational development, design, transformation and change, human resources and human capital, organisational learning, coaching and work psychology from around the world to make you the most up-to-date and knowledgeable person in the room. Hello and welcome back. Today I'm talking to Sam Isaacson, who's the author of a new book, How to Thrive as a Coach in a Digital World, that's been published by the Open University Press. Now, Sam's an accredited coach and coaching supervisor and leads the coaching service business for Grant Thornton, which employs more accredited coaches than any other coaching provider. Now, I have to own up here to my own ignorance because I've always known as Grant Thornton from the accountancy and tax side of things. And I had actually realized that you were doing other services. But when I looked into the business a little bit more, I found that Grant Thornton is actually the world's seventh largest revenue and the sixth largest by number of employees professional services network of independent accounting and consulting member firms, which provide a whole range of services, obviously including coaching. Anyway, Sam has advised hundreds of organizations on technology innovation, digital transformation, risk management, and coaching. And he's worked with everything from local charities, councils, ultra niche insurers, through to some of the most recognizable and large organizations in the world. Welcome, Sam. Thank you for having me, David. It's great to be here. Yes, it's an absolute pleasure. And I, I really enjoyed the book. To start off with, can you just give me a little bit more of your background and your story, please? And what kind of led up to writing the book? Most of my career has been in professional services. So Grant Thornton is just you know, the latest name in a list. I'm trying to collect the whole set. I started <laughs> in technology risk consulting. So that's where I got introduced to that world. And over several years, I ended up focusing on change and that whole world of digital transformation, technology project risk management that side of things. Through my experiences looking at that, often my role was to come into an organization where they had a big technology program that was going wrong, find out where the problems were and then help them to fix them. And more often than not, I was finding that the root of the issues actually was caused by the people and not by the technology itself. And so that got me interested in the whole psychology of change and in organizational culture and that side of thing. And so that's when I made, made that move over to coaching. Yeah, Grant Thornton, we've not been doing it for a, a massive amount of time, but that was part of what I started here. Yeah. Okay. When did you make that move over into coaching then? interesting switch. Yes. Well, you know, it's not the most natural, it's not the most well-worn path. I think I did my original coach training in 2012 approximately, and then kind of properly made that shift over 2015, 2016, and have been building it since then. Okay. So what prompted the book and what led up to you writing it? Well, when I could, you know, before lockdown, I used to enjoy going to coaching networking events and, you know, attending conferences where I'd be able to just have natural conversations with other coaches. And in those conversations, it seemed like the subject of technology was never far away. You know, it didn't take very long before somebody would mention, oh, here's a new coaching platform, or I've read this news article about some AI or something was going on. And at that time, it felt like there wasn't really much material available to actually move that conversation forward. There were bits of research, but they seemed quite dated, you know, talking about the concept of coaching through emails as this new thing. 
and one thing led to another and it felt like with my background, my passion for coaching and my interest in technology and that whole world, it just seemed to, the stars aligned and the, the book sort of came out of that. Yeah, I've got to say, nice timing. I assume that you started actually writing the book before the band and given where we are now and what's been happening, as I say, the book's rather timely to say the least. So just to kind of start us off, you know, what are the challenges that coaches and their clients face with coaching in a digital world? It is a tricky one. And I think people, depending on people's attitude towards technology and innovation and just natural tendencies, and partly that's going to be to do with when you're born. People are going to suffer different challenges as far as technology is concerned. So one of those would be that sort of person that thinks, I suspect that good things are possible and I just don't know how. Because when you see a piece of technology, the sales patter around it will all be saying how wonderful it is and it will transform your coaching and multiply your results by 10 and this side of things. And then you start to use it and you can't figure things out and buttons aren't in intuitive places. And then it breaks live in a coaching session and you struggle because now you're having to act as technical support and be a coach and do everything else that you're meant to be doing. And so it isn't always easy to kind of step into that world where you just don't know. Another challenge is for optimistic gadgets lovers. So there are some people who something new and shiny comes onto the scene and I just want to play with it. And the problem there actually is a little bit at an unconscious level that the lack of knowledge about what can go wrong causes those things to go wrong inadvertently because technology presents new issues. And so an example is that system just isn't available. And if you've got somebody who's so passionate about using that system, we're going to end up spending the whole time trying to get the system to work and not making the coaching work. And so I think that when something does go wrong with technology, the person who ends up suffering from it ends up being the coachee most often. And we as coaches have a responsibility for caring for that person and taking them through that experience in a positive way. And, and so we need to be able to consciously deal with that and so educate ourselves. But ultimately underlying all of that, I think that the biggest challenge when it comes to technology is that coaches and coaches are individuals. And when we meet, it's important that we're able to build a level of trust and rapport. And increasingly, particularly with generational differences, there are different attitudes culturally towards using technology. For example, we all experienced having to move into video coaching. A lot of people throughout 2020. And for some people, that was something that was so natural. They were already doing it. And other people, it was this horrible experience of being forced to do something they would rather never ever have to do. And if that's a coach and a coachee in either direction, having to lead to where one of them is already 10 miles inside the territory and the other one is actually doesn't really want to go in, that doesn't make for a very good rapport matching experience. And so as coaches, again, to, to be conscious of that and to be matching where our coaches are at and using technology appropriately as a challenge to overcome. I think, yeah, I also think that there's this issue, there's this trust in the, the technology and the rapport building. There's also a kind of a, it's different trying to build a relationship and trying to build kind of equitable trust online, just through something like Zoom or you know, teams or something is a different thing. And, and I don't know what kind of a, advice or thoughts you have about that, the kind of relationship building side of things. So, you know, we influence that relationship in all sorts of ways. And some of those are conscious and some of them aren't. And we do that whether we're thinking about it or not, of course. And so yeah. when we meet somebody in person, we all know it, the way that you shake someone's hand influences the way that you think about them. And it, in reality, it has no bearing. It doesn't mean anything but we take it to mean something incredibly important. And so when we meet somebody through video and for example, 
the video is not well lit or it's lit from behind. And so you're getting a silhouette. Suddenly it feels like it's very difficult to build that rapport. And there's no one right answer to it, but it's worth thinking about to, to make sure that you're thinking about things like that, getting your audio clear, being aware of what a backup option is going to be in advance in case it drops out. And we've experienced the same thing. This is not a new experience we're having. It's just a different sort of technology. When I did my coach training, I had to do some coach mentoring, which took place through phone coaching, but we hadn't been trained on how to coach someone on the phone. And so we'd been told to, you know, look for all these visual cues and then you can't do it. When actually there are some really good, powerful coaching techniques that only really work when you're on the phone, because you've got the ability to hone in so tightly onto what are the words that have been saying, what's the tone of voice. And so. I think it isn't as simple as saying we're using a new technology and therefore it's harder, but it is important for us to think I'm using a new technology. And so what do I need to change about myself and the way that I operate in order to make it as effective as possible? Yes. Yeah. I, I, I suppose there's a kind of a level of consciousness that's different because you're trying to adapt to a different set of surroundings that are now digital surroundings. I think what I find interesting about this, the whole conversation about kind of coaching in the digital world is that a lot of people kind of automatically assume that we're just talking about Zoom and Teams and, you know, the video conferencing type activities, but this isn't the case. Can you just explain the kind of range of digital technologies that are being used in coaching and some of the more cutting edge technologies that are actually being used at the moment? Yeah. Oh, I, I love this. In, in the book, then I categorize <laughs> them into five kind of categories. And so those five categories are the sort of the world of coaching admin, you know, just having to take care of the day-to-day -day stuff in which we use technology. And it doesn't tend to sit in our minds as part of a coaching technology landscape. But we're doing coaching activities through it, it's weird, whether that's as simple as scheduling a coaching session or recording some goals and doing our reflection notes, that side of things, actually to use technology in that space can make us a better coach or can introduce new risks. The second would be management of a coaching engagement and management of a coaching practice. And there's lots of technology, particularly that's been developed recently that supports with that at a personal level and at an organizational level, when you're looking at multiple pools of coaches and coaches. The third would be use of data analytics. And we, we talk about this in, in a moment, actually, you ask about cutting edge technologies. I think that there's some good opportunities there, but in terms of drawing in new sources of data and being able to use those as part of a coaching engagement live in the sessions stand outside of it. The fourth category would be coaching technology that you can be using live in coaching sessions. Video conferencing is a really easy example of this. And then there are some exciting creative tools and techniques that I like to use, which make a coaching session more different from not using technology. And so there's the way that we can enhance our coaching through it. And then the fifth area would then be robots coming in and stealing all our jobs. So some sort of artificial intelligence that is actually replacing a level of coaching activity with an automated process. And you know, that might be scary in some instances and in some, it might be liberating actually. And so it's good to be aware of what that is and, you know, equip ourselves to maximize that opportunity. But specifically thinking about what the most cutting edge technologies are, I, I do think there's a real space for using creativity you know, in coaching sessions and people have valued that for a long time, ever since they've been coaches really. And I think a good example is photo cards, you know, have little images that you can use for metaphors, storytelling. And when you're there in person, you can spread them out on a table and, and then enjoy using them in a quite a physical, tangible way. And 
when you're doing that online, I've had somebody say to me in a coaching supervision context, oh, oh, I would, if you were here in person, I wish that I could do this photo thing with you, but maybe I'll just move the camera down and I'll put the photos out. And it, it feels like this is not as good when actually in technology, you can be so much more creative than just a bunch of pictures. You know, you can do that in a much more interactive way. You can be exciting in that. And there's ways that I started using sound and magnetic poetry and using some computer game tools to immerse people in an experience that's, that's quite exciting. And so I think there are good levels of creativity we can introduce. I think this whole world of the quantified self, that feels like quite cutting edge. Actually, people have started wearing, you know, an Apple watch or whatever, and then they can tell you what their heart rate variability is in different <laughs> contexts. That's data that we didn't have as coaches 20 years ago. You wouldn't even have thought of being able to use that. And yet bringing that into a coaching session and saying, let's just look at that data huge amounts of data, you know, more data than anyone has ever had in all of history on themselves. And let's just think what was going on in your life at these points where, I don't know, your oxygen levels were going up or, you know, it's so that there's some real excitement there. And then I'll just throw out two more without going into any detail on them at all and then just see where it goes. But virtual reality and artificial <laughs> intelligence, you know, those are right at the cutting edge or can be, and there's plenty of opportunities that are there as well. I've got to ask you, cause you've mentioned this and I've got no idea what this is. magnetic poetry. <laughs> When I was a child, I remember having a little pack of words just on little magnets and we'd stick the magnet to the fridge and then you make a little poem. If you've got nothing else to do, walk over to the fridge and make a silly poem. Well, you can do that digitally. So if you go on the Magnetic Poetry website, it's free. You can give you a random selection of words and you can write a silly poem. And doing that in a coaching context, actually, because it gives you these words up front, you're limited. And so you have to think creatively and apply your own meaning onto what's going on. And of course, the poems are absolute nonsense as far as a coach is concerned. But from a coachee's perspective, that's a powerful little couple of lines that they've created that we can then work on in a coaching session. And then they can take away for their own reflection and maybe bring it back in future. And it's a very nice interactive experience that you, you know, they can share with me through to them sharing their screen while they're moving the words around. It's lovely. Actually, you've, you've just, you've really just made me think there's a whole load of tools because obviously I'm from an educational space that we use in learning management systems with students, allowing them to do things that actually could be very easily imported into a coaching scenario. And you're right, isn't it? it it's partly the creativity of using things from different contexts, particularly digital tools like that. And there are thousands of them, you know, there are things like hot potatoes and so that are designed for other forms of learning, but also starting to go out and search for things, to just being aware of what's out there and then bringing it into the coaching and being created that way. In fact, as we're talking, I'm kind of thinking, you know, I'm visualizing now a kind of a, a digital coaching portal with loads of these kinds of tools on. Yeah, you've got this, it's the entrepreneur in me, I think. Well, yeah, I, you know, I think actually when, when we come to thinking about what's the best sort of technology to use in coaching sessions, it's the same question that we would typically ask ask about an in-person coaching session. So ex example, those photo cards, I like doing stuff like that. And the thing I like about it is the meaning is created in the moment. So actually it's just pictures, you know, there's nothing special. People have had postcards for years, but then we call them coaching cards and they just become a coaching tool. And I know other people use Lego or Russian dolls or something like this. And to just think, well, what sort of technology is out there? There are loads. I mean, you know, mobile apps, I don't know how many 
billions of them there probably are now, more than we can cope with. Taking one of those and applying it into a coaching context, there's probably more power in that from a coach perspective, you know, in terms of enhancing my personal practice, rather than going to something that has been specifically designed for one very specific coaching approach, just like we find with the coaching model, you know, there's very few coaches that stick absolutely rigidly to one coaching model, because that's the one thing they do. We tend to be a collector and find a way that works for us. I think the same is true for technology. Yeah. And I, I, th I think you raise a, an important point here because we're using a lot of different kinds of technologies, as you say, apps and, and various programs anyway. And I think we kind of isolate the use of it from the coaching. And a, a little bit earlier on, you were talking about, and so f for example, for the review, you know, we use a, a CRM, a customer relationship management program, which virtually all businesses do use to keep up to date with people and conversations that you've had with them and their digital tools. And it's thinking about those in the coaching realm rather than just, I suppose, keeping coaching in a box of it's a certain type of sets of activities and then as we're going through our normal digital life going hang on a minute i can actually do something with this in the coaching space and i really like that great and i, I think they're just kind of moving it you, you mentioned earlier on about kind of ai so artificial intelligence and machine learning and certainly a lot of the coaches that that we've got in the membership and, and coaches that I've, I've spoken to kind of see AI as a kind of a direct threat. And I think this is personally, I, I kind of, I'm, I'm starting to realize that this is more of an issue of augmentation and an extension of capability that, that these technologies are giving us and that it's possible for coaches and coaches to really benefit from these technologies rather than just view them as a threat that, you know, something that's going to come along and eat our lunch as a coach. What opportunities do you think that the new coaching landscape is going to offer for coaches and coaches? So I, I think it's easy to think of these things from pessimistic or optimistic mindsets. And so I don't think it is one or the other, it's both. And so, yeah. so to a certain extent, it definitely is a threat. If, if you are a coach who operates in a robotic way, a robot will be able to do that better, way cheaper. Currently AI coaches are in development and currently they are nowhere near as good as human. So. You know, are we all going to lose our jobs to robots this year? No, under no circumstances that's going to happen. However, they're going to get a little bit better and they certainly can be helpful. I've used some and I found them helpful and they are so much cheaper, indescribably. And so in cost conscious environments where coaching is seen as a transactional service that just ticks a box to say we've done it, actually, yes, coaches should be eliminated from those environments because the robots will take over. It's, it's, it's what's going to happen. That's what does happen. However, this more, the more optimistic side of that is almost all coaches don't particularly like that linear, repeatable, predictable process focused coaching experience. You know, the grow model is good when you're starting learning and then it kind of grow out of grow. And AI coaching currently is only capable really of operating in linear ways. And so if you get an unexpected, the response makes no sense at all, or it just doesn't know what to do with it. So those AI coaching tools are really that they're supported self-reflection rather than automated coaching. But what they are good at doing is removing some of those less exciting bits. So th that, for example, I know you don't do this in every coaching session, but that bit of a coaching session where you're asking a coachee to set a goal. And you know, it should be a smart goal. And so you're trying to help the coachee just to get down to, yes, but what does that mean? And when are you going to do it? And what's that specifically going to look like? And supporting them with that, which is quite tedious with a lot of people. Let a robot do that because it's so patient. 
and it'll just go through the process <laughs> and it'll get the coachee to a really good point where they can then bring a really well-formulated goal into a coaching session, having already done all of that work. And then you can play with the exciting bits. So actually it makes the practice of coaching a lot more. And that's where the, the best moments in coaching are from. Those aha moments don't come from, and when are you going to do that? And a robot will sit there and do that and enjoy it as much as a robot can. So yeah, I, I think there is an optimistic side to it. And particularly the way that AI in the first instance is going to help people in doing some of those more process focused parts of coaching. There are other bits that people are thinking about as far as a sort of proxy coach supervisor that could assess a conversation and give you feedback, but I think there's potentially other issues in that and that's not particularly soon. I don't think so. We'll see what happens. Yes. Yeah. In, in fact, there was a paper published that we've just sent out to members actually about AI and coaching and, and basically was saying what you're saying is that AI is not in a place yet to take over. However, AI is very good at some of the more linear processes that coaches can hand over to the AI for a particular thing and then bring them back in. And it's learning to work with these technologies because they're not going to go away. And I, I think that's important. Just kind of moving this on a bit, you know, digital technologies like AI and robotics are actually based on data analytics. What are the issues that you see here about the use of data specifically for kind of coaching purposes and that organizations and coaches really need to be aware of? So I think I'll summarize most of the issues in one word, and then I'm going to pick out something separate actually. So that, that one word would be bias in that a data set naturally exists under a particular set of circumstances that you can't guarantee are going to be true under all circumstances. And so that's why scientific theories develop. And that is potentially a problem when you're developing a piece of artificial intelligence, because by its nature, you need an enormous data set of high quality data that then allows the tool to predict what's going to happen and therefore know what's, you know, how to operate. And by its nature, as far as coaching data is concerned, there is going to be bias built into that data. And, and that can come from all kinds of different directions, but the, the issue is going to exist under all circumstances. You can't eliminate that bias. And that could come through the data not being complete, or it could come with it being skewed. It could come from all sorts of different directions, but it's going to be present there. And so it isn't as simple as thinking, oh, you know, here's an AI tool that solves this problem. And therefore that problem solved. What it means is in, let's say 95% of cases it's solved, and you have to be able to deal with those exceptions. Well, a good example of this, I don't know if you've seen the alpha tool, Google DeepMind several years ago, it was a big story at the time, had developed an artificial intelligence tool that was able to play the game of Go which is indescribably complex. And, and the predictions from all of the professional, you know, the people who actually knew about the game were the robot is not going to be able to ever beat a human because it's too difficult. It needs too much intuition. And I think they played five games against the world champion and it, it ended up being 4-1, I think. And that was for a number of different reasons. But in one particular game, the human played a, a move that the tool wasn't expecting and therefore it played the worst move rather than trying to compensate for it. It just did something so it couldn't work out what a good move would be. And so it did something bad. That's not something that you want to 
stick onto a coachee, you know, giving them something that's unexpected and therefore hit them with something that's actually unhelpful. So that's something important to bear in mind. The particular thing to really pick out though, when it comes to any sort of data, which is what a lot of technology runs on, otherwise it doesn't work, is this concept of confidentiality. And confidentiality is a real pillar of coaching. You know, if you don't have confidentiality, it kind of stops being coaching really, you don't get that trust. And in the world of technology, the word confidentiality doesn't exist. If it is used, it immediately gets switched to this different word security. And security means I'm going to hold on to your data and only a small privileged number of authorized people are going to have access to it as far as I can control. And that is a very different place. If I'm coaching somebody and they divulge a piece of information to me that is expected to be kept confidential, what that means is I'm not telling anyone. Not, I'm going to write it down on a piece of paper. I'm going to tell <laughs> three or four important people and we're going to lock it in a secure filing cabinet that somebody someday might break into. Probably won't, but they might. Now, th those are two quite different things. And so to be able to actually operate a data set where the data is held confidentiality is they can't, that can't be true because the data is there. It has to be accessible in order for it to have some benefit. So I think we need to be quite careful how we're treading that line and using appropriate data with permission that we know is not confidential, but, and of course, keeping it held securely. And that's not even to mention the concept of data privacy, which is really around regulation and not around actually protecting the data. So yeah, there we go. That's my high horse. If you want to get me off on something, then confidentiality is the thing. Yeah. Well, I, because there's a big ethical issue here for organizations. And I think you're right. I think a lot of organizations probably don't think it through like that and need to be involved in a conversation that will allow that realization to kind of be raised, I suppose, for organizations that are using those types of digital technologies that are based on, well, all of them are based on data, but based on data in that way. Yeah. Interesting. So let's kind of jump to the other side of this. What about the opportunities for coaching supervision, supervisors and in organizations and, and the management of coaching? This is a really exciting place to be in because most organizations, and I think it's fair to say, most organizations, when you ask them, what do you do as far as coaching is concerned? And they say, oh, I don't know. I'll ask somebody, David, it'll be David. Okay. So David, oh, <laughs> David knows what, how that works. And then we talk to David and David says, oh yeah, I love coaching. It's just my favorite thing in the world. And if somebody needs a coach, then they come and talk to me and I've got a form that they fill out and then I find a coach for them. And, you know, I know all the coaches and then I, if you're lucky. They might record that on a spreadsheet somewhere that's coaching this other person. And that's basically as mature as the environment gets around management of coaching. Whereas if you were to introduce a piece of technology that gives you oversight over all of those coaching engagements in one place, then you're no longer reliant on David because as soon as David leaves the organization, coaching has left as well. But if the system is there, it could be David or it could be somebody else who then has got role of oversight and design and uh, a level of quality assurance over what's happening. That coach matching process can happen in an automated way. And so rather than, I don't know, you probably experienced this just as often as I have, that you meet a coach E for the first time and you say, okay, on this form I've been given, it says that your goal is to improve your presentation skills. And they say, well, yeah, I suppose that was three months ago when I first, <laughs> but now it's no longer an issue, but I'd still like some coaching. So, well, if you were to build a system where they could go on type in, you know, my goal is presentation skills and it shows you, well, here's a half dozen coaches that could be a good match because they have coached about that in the past. Choose one, 
booker meeting in their diary, you could be coached by them the same day. And so suddenly that process is accelerated. You actually help get that support. Not to mention that then the organization has got data to be able to demonstrate how much coaching it's doing and what difference it's making, which currently almost all organizations can't. And so then when you have a little bump in the road and you need to cut some costs, the most natural thing to do is get rid of coaching because it's just conversations happening, isn't it? We're having conversations anyway. We think, oh, if you could demonstrate that back then people would realize the power that coaching can have. Yeah. And that's where there's some real power in data analytics, because you can really start to see where certain coaches have, I suppose, more influential in certain areas on almost real time, almost being able to kind of grade them, but give feedback on that kind of process. Yeah. Interesting. J just moving on a little bit. I noticed on your LinkedIn page, you've got an interesting post there about coaching in virtual reality. I think that you published last year in the very early days, and this was probably about 2005, 2004, something like that. Scary. It's about 16 years now. <laughs> just like I, I ran a course and some team coaching using Second Life. And if anybody hasn't come across this, it's a virtual reality platform, I suppose, that anybody can sign up for and use and you can interact with. And I'll put a link to it in the show notes because it's still going. Linden Labs, I think they're still going. Anyway, it was an interesting experience. And even today, you know, 16 years later, I get now and again, people coming up and say, oh, I remember you. We were on that Second Life thing. The thing that strikes me with all of that is that they tend to remember the experience. When I start to kind of plump from, you know, what did you get out of the actual sessions? They're a little bit more vague on that, to say the least. And I just wonder what your thoughts about that and why you think VR hasn't really kind of cottoned on or, or kind of moved into this, or was I doing it wrong? So this, I think there are two questions that are actually being asked here. So one is about Second Life in particular. And so I'll deal with that first and then we'll talk about virtual reality more broadly. Okay. Second life is, I'm not really sure how to describe it. It's, you know, it, it's a massively multiplayer online computer game platform. I'm not sure if they would define themselves as a computer game. It's a sort of simulated environment, isn't it? Where you have a virtual avatar and you exist in that place and you can meet people and perform little tasks together and have conversations. So it's nice, but it isn't what I would define as virtual reality because virtual, I don't think Second Life would define itself as virtual reality. Actually, virtual reality for me would be an immersive embodied experience with some sort of headset and 3D sound sound. And so the question around why people use things like Second Life, and it's not the only one, I mean, there's loads, you know, it's even games like Roblox or Fortnite or Minecraft, which are big games now. Elder Scrolls Online, there's a huge numbers actually of these big games. You can meet people online and have conversations. So why hasn't coaching gone in there? And I think part of the question is why we didn't use video conferencing particularly before 2020. I know some people did. And the, the answer to it is really obvious. Well, it's more pleasant to meet in person, isn't it? And now organizations have been forced into video. It's now become culturally more acceptable and there's lots of benefits to it, you know, saves money and time. And so nowadays, if you want to have coaching with somebody, you can meet them in person if you can. And if you can, I think everybody would choose that. You could choose to do it through video and video is, I don't know, what would you say? 85% as good as in person, you know, it's perfectly valid yeah. as an experience. You're able to coach people. You can still see them. It's nice in some cases, quite intent, but it's 
you get through the process. You can still do phone. That's probably a good message to get out there. You know, still allowed to coach through the phone, even though video is an option. And Second Life or something like that is basically, it's still, you've got the phone data, you know, having that audio conversation, and then you're adding on top of it the experience of having to play a computer game simultaneously. And so it's sort of like phone coaching plus a bit of whimsy, which is not unpleasant, but in terms of actually building a coaching experience, it, it's a bit different from what I define as virtual reality. And when it's not my definition, you know, I think what the technology industry would define as virtual reality which would look like a headset. And the reason why that hasn't launched in the way that you might have expected it to, if it's such a good idea, I think it's quite easy to understand if you think about what was happening 10 years ago in video. So, you know, 2011, that's 10 years ago, my, the organization I worked for had a video conference room. And, you know, before that we'd had things like Skype, where you could be speaking to people remotely through video, particularly popular, but people knew it was there. But if you wanted to have a good video call. You had to book the special room because the special room's got the expensive, big, heavy, difficult to use equipment. Really, it's quite elitist and you need technical support available to come and just tell you how to switch the thing on and make it work. And that's basically where virtual reality, as far as headsets and that sort of thing has been up until very recently. So almost nobody owns a virtual reality headset. The concept of owning a virtual reality headset five years ago was almost unheard of. You know, you were part of a real niche, but over lockdown, I, I think, oh, I'm going to get this number wrong. I think it's something like 10 million headsets are now in circulation, which is quite a magic number. And of course we had the acceleration of video calling last year because of the lockdown. And so because people have now become comfortable with the idea of working remotely, there are new headsets coming out. I mean, Facebook have rebranded as Meta because I think they're investing $10 billion this year in virtual reality and employing something like 10,000 people in Europe alone just to work the metaverse. And so as a headset becomes available, but naturally connects to your phone and has got some capabilities of its own, Xiaomi have got a device coming out very soon that'll do this and is going to be very affordable. People will want to have it because it's a bit of a gimmick, like the Apple Watch was a bit of a gimmick or the iPad was a bit of a gimmick and suddenly they're everywhere. There was no need for them before and then suddenly everyone's got one. I think the sort of, the idea of a pair of glasses that's no bigger than yours or mine, but which has got cameras built into it and the ability to make phone calls and access the internet and get directions that projected onto your, you know, in front of your eyes and build a little hologram of you that you can teleport and meet somebody virtually in a way that is then relaxing and embodied rather than the intense experience of staring into a tiny screen. I think that that's the future of remote communication is going to be some form of virtual reality, augmented reality. And so let's say within five years, it's a prediction we'll be getting. No, it's prediction. Yes, I've seen some augmented reality type of AI coaching in workspaces, in factories where people come up to a, a workstation or something and the screen helps to coach them through the things that they're meant to be doing, or if they do something out of sequence, it tells them immediately. And that's through the glasses. I've seen one or two cases of that. And I've also seen, there was a video I saw recently about coaching somebody in real time. So the coach was back at home. They were wearing the glasses and they were in a meeting and they had an earpiece and they were saying, right, okay, you know, have a think about this, have a think about that, which was interesting. I'm watching that happen. And, and that's one of the problems, certainly when I was doing coaching, that was one of the problems that I found is that you were reliant entirely on what the coachee told you was happening and it wasn't real time. So it was after the event and you were trying to kind of catch up or predict some other event, but even then when they came and told you what happened, is that real? So, and I think some of this technology 
gives us that ability to do some of this in kind of almost real time. And in a much yeah. more objective way. That's the yeah. example about how much data we've got. I think I use the example in the book of a, a smart fridge where you can open your phone and you see the image of what you've got inside your fridge. Well, if you come to a coaching session, you may be absolutely convinced that you're eating health. And so when you're asked that question, you're attempting to reflect on it. You're reflecting it in an unhelpful way. But if you can bring up, well, this is what my fridges look like over the last month. You can see every day and you think, oh, yes, it's a lot of <laughs> leftover takeaways in there. Suddenly that helps to elevate self-awareness. Yes, that was a lot of chocolate puddings I bought last week. Okay, so you devote chapter 15 to a call to action. So what action do you think coaches and coaching supervisors should be taking with regards to the use of digital technologies then? So I think I start to get active in the space, basically. So, I mean, of course, please, you should buy my book and just get the you know, start to... Of course. I mean, look, there's so much technology that's available right now. I almost think, here, you know, why wouldn't we want to learn about it? And especially as our coaches are becoming relatively younger, that's true, you, whoever you are, you know, they're going to have different outlooks and they're going to want to interact with technology in a slightly different. And as a coach, I don't want to be in a position where my coachee asks me, for example, I say, you know, let's meet next Tuesday lunchtime. And they say, great, here's my VR link. And I think I've never met anyone in VR. I think I'd rather be ready for that so that when they do that, I already know how to deal with it. And I'm not, you know, I'm into my child self as I start that coaching session. And so on that note, you know, find some technology and just start to play. I think it's a good example to find a coach as a buddy, just experience some coaching using some technology and just experiment and see how it works for you. And if it doesn't, then it doesn't, but you don't know until you try. And importantly, it's about the coachee. And so speak to them about what they want. You know, maybe they would like to experiment with something as well, and you could learn together. And if nothing else, even having that conversation about what would you like to experiment with, if they say, oh, I don't want to experiment with anything, that might be a good topic for a coaching conversation, <laughs> what the reason for that is. So yeah, so have a little look. And yeah. So curiosity and going out there. And I also like this idea of having a buddy that you can share ideas with things that you found and things like that. I, I've got a buddy that's not to do with coaching, it's to do with business, but we meet up every other the week and just share. I found this and I've seen that and I've read this. Yeah. I think that's great. What about organizations then? For example, if somebody's HR or learning, say, who've got some responsibility for coaches or bringing coaches in within an organization, what do you think they should be doing apart from, obviously, as you've said, reading your book, which I'm going to take as a given. Yeah. What do you think they should be doing? I think it's helpful to think about how we think about the maturity of other sorts of places in an organization. So there are capability maturity models, for example, that will take you through five stages with ad hoc at the bottom where things just happen when you remember to, um, and optimized at the top where it's continually improving and every new piece of technology that's out there you'd be benefiting from. And I talked about our little friend, David, who looks after coaching. Most organizations are like that. And so for David, I would encourage him or her to think about that middle level of those five is for something to get defined, whether it's defined processes and defined sorts of technology that are supporting that and giving you assurance over how well it's performing. That's a good place for organizations to aim for. And in order to do technology can't operate when it hasn't been defined, it just does nothing. And so the technology forces you to therefore mature your coaching approach and strategy as an organization. And so even if for no other reason, I think, you know, starting to think about that, it's a good exercise for most organizations to do. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you. So as we come to the end of this, any kind of last word of advice for coaches and coaching supervisors who've never really encountered 
the types of technologies that we've been talking about. Well, I think, you know, you used that word curiosity a moment ago, and I think that's probably what it is, you know, activate curiosity about coaching technology, because, you know, there's that phrase out there, there's an app for that. That's the same is true in coaching. We just often don't think of it. So, you know, you think about something like constellations, which is a, you know, an exercise lots of coaches enjoy getting involved in. And there are multiple ways that you can use technology to be able to deliver that. And yet the problem is a lot of coaches who like to do constellations just feel like, well, if I'm doing it remotely, that isn't an option because I haven't got the physical things. And so actually just wondering, well, how could I achieve that through technology? And first step, do an internet search and just see who's done it before, because there almost certainly is somebody. Yeah. And, and that just feels exciting to me. You know, why wouldn't you want to do that? Yes. Yeah. And you know, the internet's a great tool for searching for that kinds of information, because there's a lot of coaches put a lot of their activities on blogs and things. And I, I think that's a really good. Sam, thank you. If anybody wants to get hold of you, how can they? Yeah. The simplest way is nice and easy. LinkedIn. My LinkedIn page is quite predictable. Sam Isaacson. And yeah, as you've already seen, yeah, there's a bunch of articles that are up there. And so I do share thoughts from time to time and enjoy having conversations about this stuff. So please do get in touch. Great. And I'll, I'll put a link to your link and other resources that we've been talking about in the show notes. Sam Isaacson, thank you so much for your time. Sam's book, How to Thrive as a Coach in a Digital World is available now. Uh, and I'll put links to the book, Sam's LinkedIn profile and some other tools and research briefings in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time, Sam. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Thanks. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you for listening to the Oxford Review podcast. For free research briefings, audio and video research briefings, research infographics and a whole lot more, visit oxford-review.com. That's oxford-review.com. And please subscribe, rate and review this podcast. It would mean a lot to us to have your feedback so that we can make this podcast even better for you. Mm-hmm.